हेलो एवरीवन एंड वेलकम टू अवंतिका डिजाइनरिंग सीरीज और एडीएस एस वी लाइक टू कॉल इट एवरी वीक ऑन वेडनेसडे वी फीचर डिजाइन एंड टेक्नोलॉजी लीडर्स हु शेयर द प्रोफेशनल जर्नी दर थॉट्स ऑन द डोमेन ऑफ वर्क एंड डिजाइनरिंग वेयर द वर्ल्ड ऑफ डिजाइन एंड इंजीनियरिंग मीट मेक श्योर यू फॉलोअर्स ऑन सोशल मीडिया इंस्टाग्राम लिंकड इन फेसबुक एंड ट्विटर एंड विद दैट लेट्स कंटिन्यू विद योर शो एज डिजाइन थिंकिंग इवॉल्व्स and moves across different spheres while connecting the dots between technology and business the importance of having a multidisciplinary inclusive approach is becoming more apparent in fact with an inclusive skill set designers can reach out to a large and diverse set of users and create effective emotional designs that help them stand out from the crowd but this can only be achieved with a deep understanding of the user and a customer focused mindset so how can designers create a better customer experience built on the foundation of empathy to know more about this theme in this episode while we complete our first anniversary we interact with abhimanyu kulkarni studio director at philips with over two decades of professional experience in design leadership roles and working in the health and well-being industry he holds expertise in front end innovation conceptualization design management concept development design thinking art direction and the list goes on and that's why on our journey of discovering designering we talk to him about experience unifying innovation and you Hi Abhimanyu it's a pleasure to host you on Avantika Designing podcast series it's an honor to host you on our show today the day when we nearly complete one year of doing this podcast thank you so much for joining us on this day thank you thanks for it so abhimanyu as an ice breaking question nowadays design is much more focused on inclusive skill sets and designers are progressively evolving into leaders shouldn't design curriculum change gears to accommodate a more multidisciplinary approach according to you yeah absolutely rohit i mean that's a great question and i think uh, that really summarizes uh, if i can say the paradigm shift that we have seen uh, in design profession in uh, in last few years because i think design is really gone from focusing on uh, you know producing something an output to really facilitating the process of uh, you know making that output and when you talk about facilitation it it necessitates that uh, you know you bring in multiple points of view multiple people around the table and you facilitate that process and i think design plays that unique role so in that sense you're absolutely right Uh, more and more design is looked up to uh, to to play that role if i look at even my own experiences uh, you know and one almost every designer i think irrespective of the position that they are in they have to play this kind of like a dual uh, role almost uh, that on one hand they are uh, you know the designers who who don't mind you know rolling up their sleeves and getting into the trenches and uh, you know design 
because that's our passion you know that's what we want to do we want we want a meaningful change to happen in the world but at the same time we have we also recognize that you know that change can happen only if we work with other people and those other people are you know our colleagues uh, our stakeholders you know our customers our users and they are most critical in that process because it's not about what i think is right but it's all about uh, you know what is relevant what is meaningful uh, for people you know when we when we are when we are designing so i think in that sense if you talk about whichever level you are in uh, in an organization or uh, you know whether you're in government or you're sitting at the boardroom i think essentially your job as a designer is to bring that uh, point of view which is very creative which is different than others which is very user centric uh, which sometimes other people tend to miss out you know in the uh, in their own uh, you know kind of i don't know i don't want to call it agenda but you know with their own backgrounds but i think designers are uh, you know it's our duty to actually always bring in the users always bring in the people and uh, you know those softer aspects that perhaps other people are a bit shy of talking about that you know designers are brave enough to raise those points and then get everyone around the table to actually talk about it and uh, to to reach a consensus uh, in terms of how we want to address those you know wow that's well said abhimanyu and i'm glad you were able to connect the dots in such a beautiful way moving from there to your personal journey yeah. you have over two decades of experience and a proven track record of serving in the health and wellness sector front end creativity conceptualization design management concept development design thinking and art directions are some of your expertise areas can you take us through your professional journey was it all of this so well planned or did it just happen by chance um so well i think as you know, uh, you know nothing in life uh, i think uh, probably happens by plan you know and actually like i think it, it was john lennon who said that, you know life is what happens when you have different plans so well i you know at least in the in the times that i grew up uh, you know uh, design was actually unheard of as a career and of course i i took up engineering uh, because well not that i particularly liked it but well that seemed to be the only career path in the town that i was growing in but at the same time i think when uh, i came close to my graduation my father could see that uh, you know actually that i had what uh, you know kind of like this artistic tendencies you can say you know i used to draw cartoons and uh, um, you know i was interested in painting and things like that so that's where the suggestion to uh, you know check out the industrial design course in idc iit came about and i have to say that going there changed my life uh, and it's not just because of uh, Uh, IDC and the campus of IIT, which were great and fantastic. I had like I was privileged to uh, study under great professors. But I think design as I I it 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 seemed like like a new window opened for me. You know, I entered a completely different portal where my all my ideas about the world were kind of like turned upside down and. like my eyes really uh, you know open wide open like uh, oh wow this is a world 
And this is a completely different way of looking at things, you know. And that's what, it really hit me very hard, you know, that, um, and you can imagine coming from a small town, uh, you know, someone who only grew up looking at very, very conventional careers of like being a doctor or an engineer and like doing a job for your lifetime. And you suddenly end up in this, of course, in the city of Mumbai, etc. You know, those were also the influences. But I think design made a big impact on me. And um, so I, but at the same time, IDC's uh, culture was such that, you know, they, they encouraged us to think independently and uh, but uh, differently. So I took up actually my initial love was for advertising, you know, because I, I don't know, for somehow I got very much fascinated with communication design and I wanted to, despite being a product designer, I, I actually joined an advertising agency and I was there for a while. And uh, although I left it and then I, uh, you know, came back to sort of like the product design, uh, my you know education, it kind of like stayed with me, you know, and I think... Uh, even those six months that I spent in an ad agency really changed my view about, uh, you know, looking at people and looking at customers because advertising uh, really thrives on really understanding, you know, your target segments and things like that. But then, well, uh, I, I dabbled around with, you know, running my own consultancy for a while, uh, etc. And then I joined Philips. It was all like in a very short period of time. And then I never left uh, Philips because... Uh, to begin with, I was doing a lot of consumer electronics products, you know, so I started doing like designing audio products. And then I went on to, um, um, you know, doing international assignments, which were also very interesting because then I, I got to do different uh, electronic products, you know, like I was doing televisions and uh, back then, uh, you know, we had these things called as uh, VCRs and, you know, I don't know how many of our listeners remember those things, but, you know, there was also a product which combined television and VCR, you know, which was made in our Vienna factory. So I was there for a while. Um, And all these, uh, we were making laptops at one point in time and we were making mobile phones. And then I went to Hong Kong where uh, I really focused on home audio systems, you know, like the whole digital revolution was happening with MPEG, etc., and uh, we were making these home audio systems where, uh, you know, you could wirelessly beam songs all around the house, etc. And coming from there, I came back to India in 2007. Uh, and uh, the whole game here was around healthcare because by then Philips had also transitioned to healthcare space. And to me, again, it was a completely, you know, going into a different world because everything that I had learned about consumer, the world of consumer electronics, you know, about working fast and making beautiful products and you know standing out in the shelf etc etc seem to completely get inversed when you talk about healthcare because healthcare is the one is that the products are very slow in development you know healthcare is all about its stakeholders you know the patients and the doctors and the nurses etc it's not so much about how beautiful it looks but how relevant it is and you know is it ergonomic and, uh, you know, how much time it saves you if you're doing a surgery, etc. So it was a completely different consideration. Uh, but I loved that challenge because, in a sense, your your fundamental design education actually helps you to, you know, address any problem. I mean, any problem is a design problem in the end. So, and so I'm in healthcare for last, you can say, 13 years. And, of course, my role within that has changed quite a bit because... I was a designer earlier, then a design manager, and now I'm 
I'm leading a studio of about 60 people. And of course, I don't get a lot of chance to work on things by myself. But I always, I play a different role now. I'm, I'm, I facilitate design thinking sessions with our customers, with large hospitals, with our sales organizations. You know, I try to take design into spaces where, um, you know, people haven't heard about design or they haven't seen the power of design, you know. So I, I'm... I'm trying to do those things uh, to kind of like, in my own modest way, open new frontiers for ourselves, uh, you know, uh, for design. And while you mentioned about Philips, Philips, in fact, Abhimanyu is a global health technology organization dedicated to enhancing people's health and creating healthier results across the health spectrum. From safe living and prevention to diagnosis, recovery, and home care. To deliver integrated technology by using sophisticated technologies and broad clinical and customer insights. The question that I have for you, Abhimanyu, is could you please tell us about the company's design culture? Sure. Um, I have to... um, and. I mean, when I speak about Philips, of course, there are other companies that have also been around for a long time. But Philips is a company that has a very long history. You can say about close to 100 years of history of design. So you can imagine. So if I go back to where design began in Philips, in Eindhoven, where and there is an interesting story of the person who actually started, founded Philips Design. You know, he was an architect called Louis Kaff. And he wrote a letter to back then the CEO of uh, Philips, who was actually the original Philips family. And back then they were making, uh, you know, they had just begun to make uh, bulbs and the radios, uh, you know, based on the walls. And Luikoff wrote a letter to them saying that, um, you know, the way you're looking at these objects, uh, you know, as very functional objects, I think I have I have a different point of view about it. And... Uh, he was talking about, of course, making, uh, you know, posters of, uh, you know, advertising, uh, basically the radio and uh, bulbs, etc. But also he was the man who went on to actually create the, the brand identity for Philips, you know, the shield mark uh, that we have, what we call as the shield. Now, this was very interesting because, the, of course, the Philips management back then was intrigued by his letter and they called him and they asked him to actually open uh, a design uh, studio within Philips, and from there it started the, the, the you know the whole journey, and uh, that journey kind of like continued uh, you know well into I have to say I mean I wasn't there uh, you know for that long but you know back then at least from the history that I, I know of design in Philips is that we were talking about design thinking about involving see psychologists and engineers and anthropologists uh, in the design process back when people were not even familiar with what design itself was you know but we were talking about bringing people together to to focus on users needs you know and that is where i think uh, philips design really was truly uh, you know a little bit ahead of time i have to say in its ideas and of course we are very happy uh, that you know uh, design thinking gains so much traction after that and of course we continue to use it uh, as a very powerful tool uh, we call it co-create 
um, uh, because it's it's essentially design thinking. But you know, we are the proponents of co-create within uh, within our organization and with with our customers. So we we are very free in uh, kind of like teaching people how do you do um, you know co-create. But one of the key things what we also realize as we went, uh, you know, like in the at least in the recent decade, is that design used to be a little bit of an ivory tower. You know, designers uh, were under the little bit of this impression that we are the ones who are creative in an organization and we are the ones who will give the vision of what the future is uh, to the organization and the rest of the organization basically would would kind of like execute on that that vision. But what we have realized is that, that the vision of tomorrow should not be coming from one person, although however brilliant that person should, could be. You know, it, it has to be an amalgamation of different people's points of views because, well, as you know, today it is almost impossible uh, task for one person to understand the, all the nitty-gritties of the business, the intricacies of technology, and to imagine all the, you know, like literally millions and millions of possibilities that, you know, future could unfold for us. And add to that our customers have become far more enlightened than they were, you know. So we used to have this very transactional kind of a relationship where all our concern was that, okay, let's let's make this product, ship this product, and then forget about it. You know, if the, if the, if the customer is not complaining about it, then, well, we don't have to worry about it, you know. Uh, we, we go back to that customer only when we want to sell them the new product. But today, our customers are also enlightened. They want to participate in in a very informed kind of a dialogue with us, you know, because they have their own take on what the future is, uh, right? So today we are living in an ecosystem where uh, not just our customers, but we see around us, you know, like small startups that are coming up that are much more agile, that are much more, uh, you know, uh, focused on a very small area, a domain within uh, within healthcare, and healthcare is such an area. It's like an infinite, uh, you know, uh, you can say it's a labyrinth of knowledge. We will never have enough uh, capability to solve all the problems in healthcare, you know, because it's a human body, right? So there are people out there who are who are working on it, who are brilliant in doing what they are doing, and I think we in Philips. We really understand and we are humble enough to, you know, get this that, yes, indeed, there is an ecosystem out there that they're, they're, and they're all equal to us. So we want to participate in this, you know, in this system. We want to collaborate with people. We want to fund them, you know, and that's where we also have things like accelerator labs, etc., as part of Philips, where we are constantly looking at what is happening out there in the market, you know, what is complementary to us and can we actually collaborate, uh, you know, with them to build the future together and that's a very different way of you know looking at the world than companies used to do you know back in the you know 80s 90s even in 2000s is that well we look at customers as basically a means to make money you know like if i'm selling more and more products then i'm successful but today our definition of success has also changed a bit you know in terms of what impact are we making you know on people's lives so um, I think we are we are constantly evolving, and I'm I'm happy that uh, this is happening. Uh, that we have come such a long way. Hey, did you know Philips debuted 
the groundbreaking mobile intensive care units icus in india every prefabricated icu unit has a capacity of 9 beds and can be installed in a one day at the chosen location to accommodate the critical care needs of a patient wow and when you shared all of this happening and interesting things in the health tech domain that philips is operating in the year 2020 welcomed us to a new normal which we are admittedly still learning to adapt to what i wish to know from you is how in your opinion does this along with present so- social situation influence how consumers make buying decisions yeah so i mean very interesting question rohit and i i don't know whether i'm i'm really qualified to answer it in its full um, you know like uh, uh, depth but let, i'll i'll i'm going to attempt it uh, anyway so um, what i would say is that uh, see one thing is of course due to pandemic we see um, this kind of like a topical you can say burst in buying behavior or the change in the buying behavior you know like for instance like people not just in india but world over are buying more um, you know like things like hair trimmers and hair dryers etc because obviously they don't want to go out and you know they're concerned about their hygiene and safety etc uh, second thing um, i mean maybe that's like a very uh, small and personal health kind of a thing but then if you look at healthcare what is happening you know there is there is a larger trend that is unfolding there which will have a long term Im- impact in terms of how do we access healthcare you know and that that is uh, about remote care now we have been talking about uh, you know delivering care remotely for a long time you know and that has been a little bit of a technology push from many healthcare providers like us but what has happened due to pandemic is that suddenly the our stakeholders you know so the doctors the hospitals and also the patients have uh, also realized that uh, perhaps this is also one way of accessing uh, healthcare you know of accessing uh, you know to talk to my doctor for instance to get consultation while sitting at home and um this will have and i wouldn't say like if if today we are seeing a large spurt in uh, remote care that obviously is going to reduce once the pandemic goes down because at the same time what we see is that the patients themselves uh, still would love to go back and have that face to face contact with the doctors the doctors st- also still feel that you know seeing a patient uh, in person makes a big difference uh, um, uh, to them also in terms of the time it takes to examine one patient you know and in a very practical way to instruct somebody to deal with all the technological challenges etc etc that itself uh, becomes like a uh, almost like a friction in terms of the um, uh, you know delivery of the care for the doctors but at the same time the 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 remote care the whole thing with uh, remote monitoring uh, delivering remote care etc is also uh, you know getting to a level of maturity where i don't think we will go back to the days where we were fully uh, you know depending on the physical uh, contact so there are a lot of things that um, 
that will become part of our routine that maybe we will not think twice about. And that's not just about, I think, uh, healthcare or personal health or, uh, you know, things like that. I mean, I, I'm, while I'm talking to you, I'm just thinking about, like, if you take the take an example of a restaurant, you know, like, we, I, like me and my family, we love to go to this one Chinese restaurant. And we were, last year, because of pandemic, we were dying to go there. And it somehow... Uh, you know, getting that home delivery and eating that food at home was not the same as going there because of the, you know, the experience that you have. But then, of course, and then we, we as soon as the pandemic was a little bit down, we, we you know, we ventured out uh, and we went there to eat. But what is interesting now is that I think the restaurant is also trying to think about what is essential to the experience of our guests. And one of the things I would just say is that, you know, like, for instance, like their menu card, now they put just a QR code there on the table and you can see the menu online instead of trying to handle uh, a physical uh, menu, you know, which maybe could have issues of hygiene, etc. you know, that their guests could be, uh, you know, uh, worried about. So uh, what I'm saying is what... Probably the restaurant is thinking is that, you know, what is essential to our experience? Why do guests come here? You know, and just get, think about those, those fundamental, the core of that experience and can we enhance that experience and try to maybe alleviate, uh, you know, maybe their fears or uh, maybe their pains or friction in the other aspects, which were not part of the core experience, but which were there because maybe we didn't pay attention to those. And, you know, that is what probably would be, uh, you know, that, that permanent change that would happen is that uh, pandemic has given us uh, a way of evaluating what we used to think as essential and, uh, you know, maybe define a new essential uh, going forward. That's what I think. Wow, that's well said. In fact, Abhimanyu, the foundation of design thinking is to put the user at the center of all that is achieved in every field of an organization. Developing a customer-focused mindset is valuable framework for how organizations do businesses, outline processes, market their products, recruit talent, um, compete and build their brands as well. What I wish to know from you is how do designers ensure that they put themselves in their customers' Mm. shoes to create an effective product? Yeah, I, I, I mean, that's a great uh, question, uh, Rohit. Of course, uh, as we, you know, we strongly believe uh, amongst the design community is that, uh, you know, people research is the foundation of uh, any innovation. Because if we have to um, create a meaningful change in people's lives, we first and foremost, we must understand where do where are they in their current state, you know, and we can never understand that current state uh, by sitting in our house and, you know, imagining what their world is. Because, and I have seen it time and again in my time in, uh, in Philips, is that everything that, you know, when we start the project, we make certain assumptions because, of course, let's also not forget that, you know, organizations like Philips, which have been around for a very long time, we should not also forget that there is a lot of knowledge within the organization. Yeah, We have been interacting with our customers and users for a long time. 
Um, so it's important for designers first and foremost to to take cognizance of that knowledge that is already existing and try not to look at every project as reinvention, uh, you know, like starting from scratch. But once you're once you're aware of that knowledge, if you treat all of that knowledge as just mere hypothesis or assumption, and then go with go out with an open mind to say that. Uh, that okay, this is what I know about them, but is this still valid? It's almost like you're, uh, you know, you're venturing out, uh, but you know, you have this this other mind uh, which is in the back of your, uh, you know, head, which is kind of like almost you whether you can use it as a checklist or things to watch out for, etc. To see how our users are evolving, you know, what is it that they are doing? What are the what are the workarounds that they are doing? in order to actually achieve the outcome that they are looking for. And they are. Our users are much smarter always than what we what we sometimes actually, you know, uh, consider them to be. So they have figured out a lot of things. So it's important for us to know what, uh, whether you call it Jugaad or whatever, you know, that they, uh, this is what they're doing. Obviously, of course, not all of these solutions are optimum solutions. So, again, it's also wrong, perhaps, to start listening to, and, and that happens also in, in healthcare, where I have, I have done the research, is that you have like this very powerful, we call them as key opinion leader uh, personalities, uh, you know, who would tell you exactly what is required uh, by them. It's also wrong to listen to uh, you know, users and customers just verbatim and then try to implement what they need because then, again, you're not, you're also taking a very biased view of maybe a very small uh, sample size and then trying to scale it to a large, uh, you know, population. So we should not also do that. But at the same time, if we ask ourselves a question that if this is the solution that this person was looking for, what is the problem that this person is trying to solve. And, you know, I think that problem is more important than the solution, uh, you know, uh, many times. So I would say uh, the research, the, the, the best outcome for research is that you come up with problems, you know, because the, your definition of the problem will actually, um, it's like not just a half the battle one, I think it's most of the battle one, because... Like if I'm, if I look at myself, I'm in an innovation campus where there are 4,000 engineers. They're all brilliant minds who went to the top engineering colleges. So the, I don't think there is any problem in technology that we cannot solve today. If we cannot solve it, we will definitely know who else can solve it. And, you know, we can collaborate with them. We buy them or whatever. What we actually struggle with is like, what is the problem that we are trying to solve? And that's where many times many of us actually struggle to come to even common understanding. And there comes my, I mean, that's like another point that I wanted to make is that we think about research as only the discovery about our users, but don't forget the organization that is behind you that is trying to solve this problem. And it's important that we bring along that organization to look at the users along with you so that they understand it with the same empathy that you are looking at because it's not just important for you to just uh, you know be to have this a little bit of a condescending attitude towards others that hey look i have the radical empathy but you don't 
you know, I understand these people, what they're trying to say, but you are an engineer or you are a business guy. You don't understand them. It's actually not right. We must facilitate. We must train them to also practice that empathy. Because once you practice that empathy, your job is half, half solved. You know, they will start talking like you and they would be wanting to solve the problems of our users. And that's exactly what we want, right? I mean, as a, as a design outcome. Hey, did you know Philips ranks number one in the healthcare equipment and services sector on Forbes World's Best Employers 2020 list? And while we spoke about getting into customer shoes, Abhimanyu, design strategy is an important element there. In fact, it is all about experience, emotional insight, and narratives built on a foundation of empathy. It's, it's, it's like designing for behavior over time instead of just a single moment in a static artifact. The question that I have for you, Abhimanyu, is how can we translate the deep understanding of users into effective emotional designs, resulting in a better customer experience? Absolutely. Uh, I think you, you hit it on the head because it, if, I, if I were to say that if there is one change that I have seen in my long career in design is that, you know, just uh, at the other extreme, I would say back in the 90s, I was a designer. I sat in a corner. People gave me the problem. I solved it. And I almost like Moses down the you know mountain, I told them, look, I have a solution for you. you know. Whereas if you compare that uh, to today, what we are saying is, and, um, is that everything that we know, everything that I produce is basically a hypothesis. It's an assumption. It's an attempt to solve a problem. It's not a solution to the problem, right? So I, I, I strongly believe, and, and sometimes when we talk about prototypes or we talk about experiments, people tend to think that, oh, wow, so we have to spend some time in doing this. But look, if you are visiting a customer, if you have an idea for a, a solution, telling that customer that idea itself is an experiment. So experiments come in multiple flavors and you know forms, and sometimes some of them take minutes to actually design. Some of them take maybe days to design. But the lower resolution they are, the better they are, because you are not committed to them. Uh, you know, if you're making a sketch on a paper, you're far less committed to it than you're making a rendering in computer. So it, it, it helps all of our egos also to test as early as possible and as often as possible. Because, of course, sometimes we hate it when people say that this doesn't work. But wouldn't you rather face that now rather after, you know, six months when you have put in like your days and nights uh, you know, and then come up with something that fails in the market, right? So I think it's a, it has been a fantastic process innovation where we have learned to really, you know, go out and validate our ideas with with our users and customers as early as possible. And that's what we also try to do these days. So absolutely, I agree with that. Wow, that was splendid. In fact, Abhimanyu, connecting user experience to another strong area of yours, product design. And when we talk about product design, one of the things 
that comes to my mind is that they're based on hypothesis and ideas that may end up not working at all. In fact, if assumptions are not tested, designers don't learn what works and what doesn't. Designers have started experimenting with their solutions to improve their designs and find out solution that works best. Do you think experimental design can help to make better decisions regarding design improvement? Yeah, absolutely. I, well, it's, a, it's a great question again. <laughs> uh, I would say, I mean, we, we talk about the journey maps and experience flows as part of the design artifacts. Yeah. And sometimes I think designers tend to think about journey maps as something that you do much later once you have all the information, once you've done all your research and then to create this beautiful artifact that goes on the wall. But I would say journey maps is something that one can do just as one is doing the research. You know, it's almost like if you're talking to a user in the morning, in the afternoon, you can create a journey map. And why is that important? Is because it's almost like, you know, if you're talking about a persona of our user, that's like a snapshot in time. But uh, life is not a snapshot, right? Life is not a moment. Life is always in motion. And it's very important for us to understand that there are things that happen before our solution and that there are things that will happen after that. So, for instance, if I'm trying to design um, let's say a new interface for a, for a cash register, I have to understand where the order is coming from. How does the order come? How, what, what happens at the cash register? Then what happens? Uh, what happens at the end of the day? What happens over six months? Uh, what happens to how do I get, get it serviced? You know, what happens to where do I uh, get it upgraded and things like that? It's, this is all about the journey uh, that our users go through. Right? So we have to have, a, uh, a, I mean, as much as possible, I think, uh, information that we must gather in order to, you know, uh, complete our understanding of this journey. And another thing, what is important is that many times what we see is that when we imagine our solution sitting in a lab or in our rooms, we always think about this kind of like key moments during the journey and of course these key moments are very very important but what we have to also remember is that in real life many times things go wrong between these key moments right so we have to be aware of what happens between those key moments so in order to understand that again we have to develop that understanding of the of the journeys and because it also gives us understanding of uh, and you talked about the emotional, uh, you know, uh, satisfaction or reward. And that is so much key because the users are not just looking for the outcome at the end of the process, but users are also looking at uh, us to give them uh, these emotional cues along the way. So, for instance, if I have put in certain input uh, into an interface, give me a confirmation. That's an emotional thing, you know, or if I'm trying to, let's say, make a purchase or I, I'll just give you an example, you know, um, like if, if you have ever paid uh, income tax online, you know, uh, if, you, if, you, if you put in all your information and if you have to pay this tax, it suddenly takes you then to your bank, which has this one very bare screen 
which just says, okay, this is the amount, this is your uh, account number, now pay. And in the beginning, it used to freak me out because I used to think like, oh my God, did I make any mistake in terms of like putting in my number or something like that? Because I can't go back now. There's no confirmation here that it's actually meant for me or, you know. And these are all one I mean, the, the engineer who designed it could be, you know, maybe laughing at me saying that, yeah, but why should you be worried? Because it's all been taken care of earlier. But look, people are very emotional beings. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I could be doing 10 different things at the same time. So I'm constantly looking for that validation as I go. Not at just at the end of the process that I have paid and done something, but also along the way that, look, I'm, I'm going all right. You know, this is correct. And, you know, so... If we have to really emotionally engage our customers and users, we have to be very much aware of what is their state along the journey and also make sure that you know we are, we are addressing it at the right points in time so that they keep going um, and they are able to complete their tasks uh, with uh, you know, satisfaction or even delight, uh, I would say. Wow, that was an amazing validation, Abhimanyu. Thank you so much for doing this with us. It was a pleasure hosting you on our first anniversary on Avantika Designering Podcast Series. Thank you so much for joining us on our show today. Hey there, we hope you enjoyed our show. Do write to us on ads at the rate avantika.edu.in. We look forward to your opinions, feedbacks and suggestions of speakers you would like us to host on this show. Do tune in our channel next week on Wednesday for a new story on Hubhopper or wherever you get your podcast from. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn and Twitter.